champion for the Far podcast. We are hitting your ears with a, a special little bonus pod to end the year. Consider it a, a Christmas present from us. Um, we're really excited. Obviously, now that the Men's World Cup is done and dusted, we can really fully turn our attention to the Women's World Cup, which is just around the corner. If you bear with me for a second, I will get my countdown app up and tell you the exact amount of days <laughs> until we are kicking things off. Internet, don't fail me now. 211 days until the Matildas take on the Republic of Ireland in Sydney to open the 2023 Women's World Cup. So it's real. It's happening. And that means that we've got lots of exciting things planned in the lead up. And one of them is this here episode. So I will explain everything very, very shortly. But to start off this pod, as always, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For this special ep, you've got me, Marissa Lordanic, Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So what we will be doing today is a big board and our colleagues over in the US, Jeff Kasouf, who writes for ESPN over in the US, he did a US women's national team big board, which was basically an assessment of where the US women's national team squad is right here, right now. And I think he's going to do a couple of updates basically as we get closer and closer to the Women's World Cup. And I remember reading this and thinking, we need a Matilda's version. So Who is better placed to talk about the Matilda squad than the four of us? I dare you to name someone. Um, So we're very, very excited to basically have a really good look at where things currently stand for the Matildas. As with any kind of project like this, there's a couple of rules and considerations that we've put into place. So Rules. We need to, there's always a little Oh my God. Save your boost for later <laughs> when we're actually debating the players. Um, but basically. The oh, I've been... got some in reserve. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to uh, warm up a little bit with a heckle. <laughs> I love it. This is going to be great. So obviously the squad has been split into the usual four categories, goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, forwards. Within each of those categories are three kind of tiers. So we've got tier one, the players who are absolutely locks. If the World Cup, if the squad for the World Cup had to be announced tomorrow and we were playing our first game in a week, these are the players who would be on the hypothetical plane to this hypothetical early World Cup, basically. Um, So those are the locks. Our second tier of players are those who are in the conversation. So for whatever reason, they are not a lock. It might be because of injury. It might be because their form's a little bit shonky at the moment. It might be that they represent a depth option. So there may be a second choice for a specific position. So that would explain why, for example, an Ellie Carpenter is not a lock at this point in time because she's still working her way back from that ACL injury. If we do another big board in May or June, completely different conversation. So that's our second tier, the players who are in the conversation. Our final tier are the bolters. We've already started talking about the bolter players. A-League women's coaches and fans have already started talking about who their selections for bolter players for this Matilda squad are. So it's basically the players who are a bit left field when it comes to selection. They could absolutely work their way into you know, higher conversations or they could just be a, a bit of a flash, in, a flash in the pan at the moment. So those are our tiers. Those are our categories. Those That's the housekeeping. We can now actually crack into the chat proper. So shall we begin with the goalkeepers? Because I reckon this is probably the easiest part of yeah. the squad to kind of deliberate with. So Sam, because you made a noise. I will go to you first. Who are the <laughs> obvious locks for the ob- Matilda's I mean, goalkeepers obvious, right now? Yeah. The obvious locks are Tegan Micah at number one. I think it's it's been pretty well established over the last probably four or five months that Micah is our first choice goalkeeper. And I remember Tony Gustafsson said at some point, um, maybe it was before the, the Sweden game, that um, now is the time where they're not going to be very, doing very much rotation anymore. This is going to be the team that he wants to gel, the team that he wants to build with. And Tegan Micah was 
has been outstanding, I think, for for majority of the time under Gustafson. So it's no surprise to me that she um, is positioned now as the number one goalkeeper, also because she is has been playing really, really well at club level. And he talks a lot about how um, you need to be able to, you need to be playing well and playing a lot in order to justify your position in the Matildas. And so all all good positive signs pointing to Tegan Micah. Um, and we've spoken on the pod before about how fabulous we all think she is and how she does everything well. Um, and then I think just below that is, you'd have to say Lydia Williams is probably the the lock for second choice goalkeeper just because of how incredibly experienced she is, her leadership qualities. Um, and even though she may not be playing as many minutes at club level as Micah and Mackenzie Arnold, she is still able to prove herself again and again when she does get opportunities at national team level. So I'd say those are the two... I mean, probable locks. If we're if we're talking about a twenty three player squad, I know that we'll probably have three goalkeepers in that conversation. But I'd say those are the two, and then the rest is a, a just chips to the sky for the birds to fight over. We have to try and figure out who's next. <laughs> chips to the sky. <laughs> That's I'm gonna use that in my everyday life um, from now on. But it's a perfect segue to talk about the players that are in the conversation. So if we do work to the assumption that the squad will be 23 players and by the looks of it, that is the go, the players who aren't certainties but definitely could be selected for that third spot, I think we're pretty unanimous. Mackenzie Arnold, obviously. Jada Wyman has really sort of pushed herself to to be that other option. So I suppose... If we did have to select a squad and the squad requires a minimum of three goalkeepers, who out of those two are you taking today? Oh boy. Uh, Arnold and Wyman. Yeah. I'm still taking I'm still taking yeah, Mackenzie Arnold. Arnold. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I just think I experience. Think, I also think you gotta reward players for playing at the highest possible level. Um I and you know, she's been doing that. I know she had the back injury recently, but yeah, I think you take Mackenzie Arnold and just in terms of her, her teammates will will trust her more than an untested goalkeeper if you had to yeah. throw someone into there. I think it would be it would be her. Do you see any situation in where Jada Wyman can, I suppose, bridge that gap and work it into that conversation? Or is it the fact that Mackenzie's basically been the decades-long second-choice goalkeeper. She's very experienced at, at this particular situation, if that makes sense. I think it's that, and I think it's also that they're, they're different kinds of goalkeepers as well. I think Mackenzie Arnold is better with her feet than what Jada Wyman is, and the kind of football that Gustafson wants to play requires a goalkeeper who's um, got uh, several strings to their bow in that sense, um, and I don't think the gap is quite as close between sort of our our three who have been in and around the Matildas for a long, long time and the rest. But I do think I agree. that probably after, I would say this is probably going to be Liddy Williams' last Women's World Cup. And I would say that Jada Wyman is one of probably two or three younger goalkeepers who are going to be accelerated into that top three sort of conversation. It's going to be Tegan Micah leading the Matildas for a long time. Sally James is in there, had really good stint with the young Matildas. Um, so you've got sort of a you Chloe Lincoln as well. You've got a couple of young up-and-coming goalkeepers who could take over that eventual spot that Liddy Williams vacates. But at the moment, if we're just thinking about the parameters of this this big board, this conversation, then, I'd, yeah, it's pretty straightforward, I reckon. That's Those are the three. I'm curious. I don't know if this is just me not remembering stuff correctly, but this season in the A-League women's, there's a lot of, like the standout keepers are the internationals. So we're thinking of Handcuff, thinking of um, Beale as well. Harrow talked about Hillary Beale yesterday on the round five dub pod. I don't, I'm interested in your thoughts as to what that means for like kind of this resurgence. Cause we've had in the past really good goalkeepers in the A-League women's. And I think then we had that kind of weird stint of COVID you know, dub, um, what that means in terms of like opportunities and development for Australian keepers. Cause I mean like Sally James, yeah, Sally James is at the top of my list, but I can't really see any other young keepers really testing or being in that same space as her at this point in time. And then if we're looking to see, you know, 
keepers being the the visa signings I'm not sure yeah what that means in terms of long-term keeper development it's interesting, and Sam can probably attest to this as well, as could Marissa. It's a topic that also comes up in the A-League men's. Um, every now and then you see the discussion of should visa signings not include goalkeepers because obviously only one can play at a time in each team. Um, and it sort of pops up and then it goes away again. Then it pops up again and then it goes away again. And it's usually after like one of our international goalkeepers has committed like a hour or something like that or um, a young goalkeeper has gotten a look in, played really well, and then – the team has signed a experienced international like it's yeah it feels like to me that the good ones are cracking through um and getting opportunities i think it's interesting that uh templeman's signed at, at victory like given casey dumont is kind of the incumbent there it's kind of like when tegan micah signed at victory and casey dumont was having a really good season and i mean i imagine victory would have liked to have played micah back then but you can't really drop a goalkeeper who's performing so yeah uh i don't really have strong feelings on it i i think there's also question marks over the merit sometimes of whether signing an international goalkeeper is the best way to use your internationals. I think for Western United, they've done a really good job with Hillary Beal, for example. But in other cases, like say if you're Western Sydney and you're struggling and you're using an international signing on a goalkeeper and you've got other sports all over the field, you wonder how much you're really getting. So anyway, I, I don't know if it necessarily impedes the development of young goalkeepers. I think it really depends where those, those players sign. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a, it's the same conversation that we're going to have probably a little bit later in terms of the development of Australian forwards as well, because I feel like in this season of the A-League Women's, there are a lot of internationals who are taking up wingers and centre-forward positions, and I feel like that's going to start to impede. If we continue to do that, it's going to start to impede the development of, you know, the next crop of Sam Kerrs, of Hayley Rassos, of, you know, whoever. Um, and that's that's a concern because, you know, it's a balance that, that the A-League women's has always tried to strike in the sense that you want to have really good quality centre forwards because those are all, you know, attacking players because those are the ones who score the goals. They're the ones who um, have the highlights reels. They're the ones who people recognise and the ones who people want to come and see. But by doing that and by attracting that kind of audience by virtue of that, you're also necessarily having to um, delay the... Uh, the development of the, basically the next generation of Matildas forwards as well. So how how you do that, I obviously don't know. If I knew, I probably wouldn't be a journalist. I'd probably be in administration trying to fix this shit. But, yeah, no, it's a, it's an important conversation, I think. And maybe as the A-League women's grows off the back of the Women's World Cup, um, it would be worth talking about implementing similar kinds of homegrown player rules that we're starting to see sort of emerge in the A-League men's as well, um, having slots that must be filled by young Australian players um, going forward because... Yeah, under 23s. Under 23s. Um, Get the larger bench. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So hopefully but, that would apply and, and clubs would really embrace that because like a lot of them have. Sydney FC I think is a really good example hmm. of a club that has really embraced um, developing local talent. You know, last season when they won the plate, they, I think their average age was like, what, 21, something like that. Pretty amazing. Um, but that's not the case across the board. And I think it probably should be because the A-League women should be the development tool for the national team. And it's funny because now Sydney FC, now we're post-COVID, are actually the example of the other way with Madison Haley coming yeah, in exactly. and team from the bench, right? But it's not necessarily a bad thing for players to also have to face competition for their spots. We've seen Remy come on and perform really strongly as an impact sub which is probably going to be her role, let's be honest, if she is in a Matilda squad. Um, real side note, Marissa, I know we're digressing, but I remember a couple of years ago, Ante Milicic, when he was in charge of the Matildas, um, I think this is when they're in Vietnam doing the, the qualifiers, uh, was quite frustrated. I think Chloe Legazzo missed a penalty. He was saying if the frustrating thing was so many of these players were not taking penalties in club land. You had A-League women's clubs or W-League clubs then have their foreign striker or signing taking the penalties. Like example, the other week, for example, was Melbourne City had um, Maria Jose Rojas take a penalty instead of Rihanna Polisina. And it's like, you, you know, you want these players to be, uh, that's just one example. You could pick out timeless ones, like Natasha Dowie would have taken them for Melbourne Victory, right? Timeless examples of uh, the foreign strikers taking those high-pressure kicks. And what you really want is your players taking them. So Chloe Legazzo taking one the other day is a great example of that because uh, you only get better at penalties with with practice. So anyway, I've digressed a bit there, but it will be interesting, yeah, to see. 
just to add to that digression, Angela and I literally in the stands were like, oh, Tilly taking a penalty, it still feels really good. And scoring one, it feels really, really good. I really, really like it. Thank you for this gift. Um, good so, pen yes, too. Great pen. Loved to see it. Um, we've alluded a lot to strikers. So do we want to move there next in this chat? Yeah, let's be unpredictable. Let's be a little bit fun and not just go, God, we're just defenders. We're going from one, one, one end of the pitch to the other. So, Harrow, would you like to talk through the locks up top? Oh, I've got a couple of ideas um, for some locks. <laughs> They're going to be pretty controversial. Uh, dun, 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 dun. Sam Kerr is a lock. Um, wow. Wow. You wow, really no, went there. Sure. I know. <laughs> I, I did. This is just the first of many controversial takes. Um yeah, I, I actually filled in this section, funnily enough. Um, my locks right now would be uh, Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, Hayley Razzo, like Courtney Vine right now, if we're playing next week, is a lock in yep. this team. And Mary Fowler's a lock in this squad as well. Like, even if yep. I know she's not been starting, she's been coming off the bench. But imagine the collective Australian football meltdown, if, <laughs> from me included, if Mary Fowler wasn't included in this squad. Like, for me, they're the clear, like, five players that have been performing week in, week out, performed at Matilda's level recently, been playing at club level. I know Fowler's not been playing so much at club level, but they're in. They're they're in your squad. They are going. Yep. That's simple. Any disagreements? Nope. I don't think there's (laughs) any disagreements with the lock. I put it in the rundown and I have noted that this could just be semantics, but you've put Fowler as a lock in the Fords. I would have thought maybe a midfielder. Is that an actual, like, a relevant talking point or is it just kind of it both. Mm. I think I was just being a bit lazy and just typed Mary Fowler's name in somewhere. My, my view is she's going to be there, mm. whether she's in there as a, a midfielder or a forward. I actually think she's been most influential when she's been coming on in an attacking role. Agreed. Um, in the most recent games rather than as a floating 10. Um, the midfield too doesn't really seem to suit her, so hence why I've got her in there as a forward. But... I feel like there's some flexibility and fun between these different groups. I would agree with that. And I love that that's how it's panned out because it's only a positive for Australian football. All right. So who would then be in the conversation? Because we do have a lot of Fords. I know we've literally just spoken about how like the development of Fords is a little bit concerning. But at the moment, there are a fair few floating around. It's whether or not they're, I suppose, up to the level or able to produce at the level we need them to. So who's kind of in the conversation as either someone who should be coming off the bench or maybe pushing these locks for for starting positions? Just quickly, are we doing, are we counting? Are we doing maths? (laughs) is this this a 23 player squad if you want we can absolutely do that yeah sounds like a lot of maths (laughs) yeah no okay um i'll I'll do some mathematics and see where we're up to all right sam you pop in with sorry like i said i've put in the rundown like those numbers next to everything is how many players we could have in a 23 player breakdown so it's just about which one you want to have more which section you want to have more players got it mm, okay. okay all right so, if so we've i got did little one, maths one two three four five five so we got two more for forwards or one more it depends yes it depends okay all right um, sorry that that was no good good addition good Sam. addition so in in the sort of in the conversation bracket, we've written down a couple of names, but there's one name that's not included who I think really should be, and that's Princess Sabini. I think she's been in really, really good form for Sydney FC. And she's now started to show, I mean, the game against Portugal is probably the best example of what she is capable of doing when she's actually given a real crack. Um, considering we are kind of light in terms of the um, the the depth of wingers. I know, got, I know we've got Courtney Vine to sort of come on and be like an, another Kai Simon or another Hayley Rasso, but on the left wing, we don't really have anyone beneath Caitlin Ford and that that gives me the heebie-jeebies. So 
I think Princess Abini is probably a really good option there. Also, because she is very versatile, she can play on either wing. Um, and she, I could also sort of see her being potentially used as a fullback as well, if that is something that's needed to, God forbid, oh, happen Sam. as well. I don't want to. I don't want to like. I'm touching all the pieces of wood in my yeah. house, but like, get ready, Sam. I've got a counterpoint for you. Go on. It's coming straight out of the bolters. Which oh. I didn't actually put this bolter in. It's Beatty Goad, yeah. Matilda's bolter. Yeah. She is. I like, did, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love that for you. Um, Ginger. Jeff Hopkins has already pumped her up, saying she should be a shout for a late Matilda's call-up. She's been playing on the left wing. She's been starring. She sets up goals. She creates chances. When they've had to throw her back into left back as well, she's been excellent. Yep. She's, what, 26 now? She's sort of hitting the peak of her powers, like, I, I think if you're looking at someone who brings versatility, and I agree with you, Sam, I think um, Abini has to be in the conversation. You know, she's been in and around squads as well, so she clearly is in the conversation, right? If we're going on form right now, another another contender, and that's someone to to maybe fill a bit of a gap as well um, defensively. I I don't mind Beatty Goat as, you know, maybe going from bolter to in the conversation. Mm. So mm. I like I like both of these as, as options. Players in form. Hmm. Yeah, I think on the left, and because Go has given... that, had that short stint with the, I forget which friendlies they were. They were the bad ones, the first ones. Germany and the Germany and Netherlands ones. So she's capped. She and was I think good though. It, it she appears... was one of the better players in those friendlies. She was okay. excellent. And was, I know Spain didn't necessarily go to plan to her, but it was interesting that she hasn't really been looked at since. And I think mm. when we're addressing this left, yeah, I know I'm sort of diverging off track here a little bit but it'll, it'll fold into the defenders that the the, the scuttlebutt seems to be that angie beard is going to switch allegiances to the philippines right so when you yeah have having not been in camps for the past you know few camps has, has turned down camps as well like that seems to be the the vibe so if we're looking at left-sided players go abini i think their stocks rise that extra bit higher Agreed. Not, not to float into the defenders area, but they are kind of sort of linked. And I'm, okay, so the, the other two players who we've sort of got in the conversation box are Larissa Crummer and Remy Seamson. And I I still am not sold on Larissa Crummer in the Matildas. And I don't know, I can't really think of why she is there aside from being tall. Um, but if, if that's the, if that's the characteristic that Gustafson is going for, I would prefer to have an Emily Gilnick there as a, as a tall center forward, as the, as the big player. Me up too. Top. And she, because she's, she's also, she's faster. She's more experienced. She's stronger in the air. You know, plays she plays as a winger as well. She plays as a winger. She's really good on corners. It's like, she has so many more weapons than what Larissa Crummer does. So I'm just like, I'm at a bit of a loss as to why she continues to be called in to camp I'm, I'm a little bit more sold on Remy Sampson because we've seen how hard she works when she does come off the bench and how much she runs which is a, a really um, valuable quality that I think um, Gustafson wants from his center forwards but yeah I'm just like like why why is Crummer around I, like she hasn't impressed at Brisbane Raw this A-League women's season it's I'm just it's a bit of a mystery to me yeah but um she can play as a center back so <laughs> and a fullback, yeah. and a golden uh, well, and uh, as Tony Gustafson, if need be. <laughs> my vibe with Larissa Kramer is that she just needs to be, and she said this actually to my my colleague up in Brisbane, Joel Gould, had a chat with him, um, that she really wants to, she makes this squad do so as a striker. I think she really deserves the chance to actually push for the squad solely as a striker and when she comes on be played there because I think it's quite difficult as well if you're coming on and you play we saw in that game where she played like three different positions right like striker fullback center back like she's a striker I think we established this a long time ago um and you know you look at the things that she has got apparently fantastic character you only ever hear that from every coach that's ever worked with her or players that have worked with her we know she can be a very good finisher as well. Um, I don't like to just go back to that Melbourne City game, but the finish she had for Brisbane a couple of weeks ago was, um, sorry, that Melbourne City season. The finish she had for Brisbane a couple of weeks ago was very good. But we haven't seen a breakthrough for one at Matilda's level. I think in the 
was it the Thailand game where she really should have scored? I'm just looking back a little bit now. But, yeah, I think she needs to actually bang in a couple of goals to to actually, when she does get on the part for the Matildas, to really throw herself into actual contention. You've got to be taking your chances. We saw Courtney Vaughan take her chances, right? Mm. Um, Remy Seamson and Larissa Crummer, I think, both fall into the same category. They need to take their chances at Matilda's level. I mean, yep. Princess Abini did that as well with the finish against Portugal, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that, like, the thing with Crummer as well, and the reason maybe that we keep thinking back to that Melbourne City season is that, like, a lot of those finishes were tap ins, and a lot of them, a lot of the work that went into those goals was the work of her teammates, and she was just there to finish. And that's like, yeah, you still have, got to finish him though. Still got to finish him. Still absolutely. Finish him. Jamie McLaren's be, made a career out of it. Absolutely, and you still have to be in a position to be able to do that. But I think the problem is that when you try mm. to apply that kind of um, finisher to a Matildas context, it doesn't really work. You need to be more mobile as a centre forward playing in the Matildas, mm-hmm. and I just don't see Crummer being able to to crack through that sort of ceiling of athleticism I just don't see her being faster I don't see her being yeah a, a harder runner I don't see her being able to do the kind of stuff that we see a Sam Kerr or a Courtney Vine or a Hayley Rasser or a Caitlin Ford any I of those agree, players Sam. doing I think it's just such a drastic change in shape and formation when you throw Larissa Crummer into the the nine yeah. like you know it's just, it was similar when we saw Emily Gilnick injected as a nine rather than as a wing like it just didn't have that flow yeah. and that as you say, that athleticism and the way those players can sort of run rings around each other. That's where, and she's listed in here, sort of in the conversation with Bolter. Holly McNamara wouldn't be in this squad if it was next week because she is still recovering from her ACL. So I think if you were doing this right now, you draw a line through. When we talk again in February, maybe different. But yes. that's where those sorts of players can come in. That's where a Beanie fits in. That's where Beanie Goad fits in. That's where, um, yeah, as I say, a McNamara can, can slot in as well. These players, they're nimble, they're fast, they you know, can do the defensive running, they can do, they can press, they can, you know, they can put in a good ball, they're versatile. Um, yeah, I, I see a Goad, for example, as being truly versatile in terms of being able to play at left back, where a Crummer, it feels like it's a square peg round hole, right? Yeah. Um, and I think if you're looking at a 23, you want players that can, yeah, can do that. So if we want to talk decisions. Sorry. <laughs> no, I wanted to it's... just quickly talk about um two of the bolters at least that we did have mentioned and it ties into our previous chat about just uh how there's a lot of international strikers currently in the golden boot rankings in i think the top five there are two aussies and it's melina Ayres leading the way and then briley henry where do these two kind of factor into our conversations i would like sam's opinion on this as a sydney fc supporter who doesn't have melbourne bias in terms of because you said the other day, Melina Rez goals, you, you love to see it, Sam. So I'd love to see where you actually see these two. Yeah, I, I'm much more inclined to to support Melina Rez in this conversation than I am Briley Henry um, because Melina Rez has a longer track record, basically. She's been more consistent over more seasons than what Briley Henry has. This is really only the first season that we've seen Henry start to actually score some goals. I know she's sort of been in and around for a little bit, but even at sort of young Matilda's level, she hasn't really impressed me either. I think she's capable of so much more, but she's also still young. She's got a long time to to go in these kinds of spaces. So I think the more confidence she builds and the more consistency she has at club level, um, we can be a little bit more confident about moving her from the sort of bolters to the in-conversation boxes. But I would be, I'm, I'm much more um, comfortable talking about Melina Ayres now because she has shown over the course of the last two seasons that she is a much better finisher than a Larissa Crummer and even potentially Remy Seamson. She's more creative. She's physical. Um, she She's not as athletic, again, as what you would want, I think, for someone in the Matildas, but she's probably capable of getting there. If she really wanted to, I feel like she is the kind of player who would be able to um, raise the the sort of the floor of her own fitness and and get faster and and um, be able to run longer and be able to do the kind of off ball defensive work, the closing down, the pressing, the all that sort of stuff that that all of the Matildas need to be doing as part of this sort of um, this philosophy that Tony Gustafson has uh, implemented there. So, yeah, and I, I really like Melina Ayres. 
um, because she 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 seems to really believe in herself and she seems to get better and better when she has when she plays with joy as well as the thing that I've really loved about watching her the last two years like she just seems like she's having a ripping time and when she does that she scores some absolute bangers um so yeah so I I, I would want to move her from the bolters to the in the conversation in at least maybe not now but probably the next if she continues on this trajectory in the next year or two I'd say I reckon if she keeps up this form, Sam, I, I love to hear that from you because it's a nice neutral opinion. Um, <laughs> like I think her all-round striker play has improved immensely. Like yep. a couple of years ago, it was Lena Rez would score bangers, but then she'd miss tap-ins or miss, you know, have air swings, miss shots that she should really bury. And I feel like, and this comes from fitness, this comes from, uh, you know, like being at a really high professional level training. And I know Jeff Hopkins has worked really hard with her. She's also had the security of being on long-term deals at Victory. Like yeah. they've, you know, that's that mutual commitment. Um, and I know other clubs have tried to sign her before. Um, playing in a good team with good delivery, playing with good forwards. And she's just gotten better and better. Like her, you, you've talked about the finish that was um, helped with Alex G out the other day, but her two finishes against Perth were super as well. Like yeah. the first touch for one and the chest down for the other, like, really rifling them home she's just playing like a proper striker and I talked about Crummer maybe being a bit of a square peg in a round hole I feel like Ayers I know she's not quick um I guess kind of like seems and neither of them are particularly quick mm. but like I feel like she has the smarts to make up for that and yeah. just happens to be in the right place at the right time she does the work yeah. She reminds she's, me, uh, she's, yeah, really she's sort of, she gives me um, Natasha Dowie vibes in some ways. Like Dowie was not quick either, but she was smart. And I feel like Melina Reyes is the kind of player who could be that. She knows that she's not the fastest, but she knows that she can read the play a little bit faster than most players around her. And that's why she ends up being in these positions where she can just tap it in, where she can just make a decision on the fly. And she's now starting to meet that, um, game awareness with uh, with her own technique. Like her technique has improved like light years ahead of what it used to be like two seasons ago. So, yeah, so it's just like it's just one of those – she's one of those players where just all the bits that you need to be a well-rounded centre forward are starting to sort of fall into place. So I'm really just excited to see where she goes, regardless of if she's a Matilda or not. I was just going to say, um, I think unlike Dowie though, you don't need to build a team around her or an attack around her. She mm. can fit, like, she's just one component of this victory attack and has been for the past few seasons and can, yeah, like you said, offers a lot of different things and versatility and, and co is complementary to other players as well. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Melina S. It's interesting that you said that she, like, you don't consider that she's not a fast player because I think I remember when I used to watch her back in the, like MPL maybe 2016 that was really all she had is like she can build up speed if she has a bit of space but that was she was very straight up and down kind mm. of player yeah so it's really interesting to see where she is now in in terms of what and the player that she's she's turned into and the player that she might be, become after this so if we've got five locks Let's add one more that would make a squad. And then if we want to add another one, we can later. But who would we add today? I think. I would add Gilnick. Yeah. yeah. I think it's Gilnick, yeah. I agree. All right. Because she's like, like if it's, if it's, if the World Cup starts next week. Mm. And you need a player who is capable of not just doing the job of a Sam Kerr, but also doing the job of a potential Caitlin Ford. Mm -hmm. Emily Gilnick is the option there. She can do yeah. both. And she, she, like, she might not have sort of the return in terms of goals per match or whatever, but she's shown enough, I think, against some of the best nations in the world. Like I'm thinking back to the, the Germany Netherlands friendlies, for example, like she showed some stuff there. She's always shown some stuff in all the different games that she's played um, to warrant at least a an impact sub kind of position. So yeah, I would take Gilnick over Samson or Crummer. 
All right. Shall we move on? Angela, you can pick. Where do you want to go next? Defenders or midfielders? Midfielders. All right. Talk us through the locks then. Mui. Mui. <laughs> Talk. On a podcast? Anyway, okay. Yeah. Um, As you have done for 120-something episodes now. <laughs> um, yeah, so our, our locks are looking pretty sparse at the moment, but I think, I don't, yeah, I've got some thoughts and onions on the ones that are in the conversation. I probably shuffle things around a little bit, but we do have Katrina Gori as a lock and Kara Cooney-Cross as a lock at the moment. Um I'm not pushing back against those. I think two very solid choices. Um, Gauri has very firmly established herself as um, a must-have in the Tilly squad at this point in time. Um, She's not, you know, the comeback is over. She's in. She's back. Um, And Kyra Cooney-Cross is uh, just, you know, fantastic and has been performing consistently for this Tilly squad, a similar thing. She's not on the trajectory. She's like, she's in the squad. Um, but yeah, so in the conversation though, we have a lot of exciting names. Oh, I love, I love midfielders. Uh, we've got Chloe Legazzo, Alex Chidiak, Tamiki Allop, Emily Van Egmond, who I would argue is a lock in the sense that she's just, I mean, I think Harrow can talk to that. Um, she'll be in the squad. She would just be in the squad. And I think, uh, Alex Chidiak, I think I put these players in the conversation looking forward rather than to the criteria, apologies, everyone. <laughs> I think uh, I think Alex would be if we're, if we're having the squad next week. It would be rules. Who needs them? Um, Alex Chidiak would be there. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, Van Egmond would probably be there. Claire Wheeler would be there. She's playing at the moment. Yeah. Um, KK. Uh, Tika Yollop would not be there because she's injured, mm. so she is not in the conversation right now. Um, yeah, I think they probably a few of them probably actually do move over to the lock section just based on the fact that they are playing and fit. Or in Van Egmont's case, I know she's having a, a break. Um, but were this a World Cup, she would be training, preparing to to go. And I think she'd be used off the bench like she was in those previous friendlies to great effect. So just to reiterate, so our locks are now Gori, um, Kyra, Chids and Van Eggs. And Wheeler. So that's five. Yep. And then we have Legazo in the conversation. I would I would be putting her on the plane. Wait, where would the plane so go? Would I. To Sydney. Melbourne to Sydney. <laughs> that's not, it's a hypothetical plane <laughs> for a hypothetical world car. Legazo's going. Like after yeah. she just has to get fit. Do you look at the way she played for Western Yard. She's she's in. Like oh my theory with Chloe Legazo, she gets injured in the lead up to a major tournament and then she Pulls off a brilliant, like, fight back from injury and she's such a pro and so versatile that you can't not put her in a squad if she's fit. Yeah. And I think that... It doesn't mean she's playing, but you have her in the squad. When we think about, for example, the the similar kind of situations that Chloe Legazzo and Lise Keller-Knight are at at the moment where they've come off a long injury sort of history, they're they're sort of using the A-League women's to get themselves back to fitness, to back to form. I think Legazzo... Um, is a more um, confident pick in this conversation than Kellen Knight is. And I think the reason for that is because we have more players who are capable of playing as a defensive midfielder and not really very many players who are capable of doing what Legazzo is capable of doing. Does that make sense? Like there's more depth at a Kellen Knight level than there is at a Legazzo level. Um, And I think, I mean, the fact that we've chosen Claire Wheeler is probably the best evidence of that. Um, and it also sort of feels like Keller Knight is going to take a little bit longer to sort of get back to what we know and love, whereas we're sort of starting to see glimpses already of Legazzo being who like her old self at Western United. So, yeah, that would be – I think those are sort of the – that's my only differentiator. Like ideally you'd like to take both because they're both amazing, but if you had to pick, it, it I'm yeah, I'd agree with, with – um, with Angela, I'd go with Legazzo. I also like that Amy Say has been listed as in the conversation. And I think that's exactly where she fits because she's been playing for Stanford. She's been called into Matilda's camp. She's not a lock. But I think if you were looking at players playing right now, you'd probably yeah, throw her in the mix. 
So it's like, yeah, I think that's a, a good mix. And the bolters actually intrigued me. I think we're all agreeing on this bolter. I would be taking Daniela Galic into camp next week. I'd be going full Mary Fowler 2019 and saying, yeah. this is the kid that we're bringing. Um, I don't care if she gets hardly any minutes or a few minutes or whatever. If she's in camp with a bunch of really good midfielders, getting the experience, um, she's learning so much from Dario Vidasic at City every week, you can tell, who was obviously a number 10 at a really high level for a long time, played for the Socceroos, played in Germany. We know what he did in the A-League as well. Um, and she just impresses. She shows these little glimpses. That first pro goal isn't far away, I'm sure. Mm. Um, but she's had so many chances. She just is exciting. Um, I know we talked about her in terms of young Matildas and City, but, yeah, if you're bringing a, a young player to really, yeah, uh, test the waters, I guess. She's the one right now, I think. Yeah, agreed. And uh, the other reason I would take her is because she is one of the few sort of creative midfielders that we've sort of got. Sam, I thought you were going to say because she's tall. <laughs> well, there's that as well, which is lovely. She she's doesn't, a tall gal. She doesn't use her height as well as creative. she could, but she... Oh, it's Emily Van Egmond all over again. <laughs> She's 100% like she's in the, the crop of the, yeah, like the Mary mm. Fowler um, comparison is exactly correct, I reckon. Like she's the kind of player who you can see the future Matildas being built around. She is so good, so, so, like so soon already. Just amazing. She was probably the standout for the young Matildas at the Women's World Cup um, at the earlier this year. And she was the youngest on the team. Like Four years younger than some of those yeah, players. Yeah, just incredible. Um and I think I would, like for the for listeners, the other bolters that we sort of had in this category are Grace Ma, Dylan Holmes, Amy Harrison and Mackenzie Hawksby. And I, I usually come in swinging for Mackenzie Hawksby because I think she's fantastic. But the problem with her, I think, in this particular conversation is there are too many other players who do what she does a little bit better than what she does. Like she, she runs a, just an absolute shitload. Um, she, her set-piece um, technique has improved in leaps and bounds over the last two seasons as well. She's a really good box-to-box midfielder, but I just think that we have too many players who are capable of doing that and a little bit more than what she is. I think Alex Chidiak is probably the best example of that. She's got the engine, but she's also got the the technique. She's got the creativity to be able to add to that. So like Hawksby is someone who you'd still want in and around because she's still young. She is a player who can form a, sort of the backbone of the Matildas midfield when you lose someone like an Emily Van Egmond over the next cycle or something like that. Um, but yes, I think that's a, I think Danielle Galich is probably the, the bolter that we can all agree on. I don't know if you can have like a second category of bolter, like possible bolter further down the track. But I'd just like to say, like put Leah D- Davidson's name out there. I think she's been yes, so I consistent like yeah. um, for City over the past few seasons, like regardless of what, what the results have been, um, she's been performing week in, week out and is, yeah. I think she's one of, she reminds me a lot of Kira Walsh in that you don't really notice her doing things because she doesn't mess up a lot if that makes sense and she her off the ball work is like fantastic anyway just yeah super smart she is super smart she works really hard she may uh the reason well partly Gallich is a very talented player but she's made to look even better by the fact she has someone like Davidson cleaning up a lot behind her and doing the hard work and sticking the good tackles and showing a little bit of aggro. I, I think she's super and she's only young as well, like 21 or something. Like a lot of that City team is super young. They've also got McKenna on the bench, who's nowhere near this conversation yet, largely because of injuries, um, but who they really rate. But Davison's just been super. Like she yeah. just gets that that midfield ticking over. She's a real heart and engine of that Melbourne City midfield who are super impressive. And, yeah, I think she deserves to put her name up in lights a little bit. Yeah, 100%. But playing a little bit similar uh, vein of form, not vein of form, but like building a form to what Claire Wheeler did at Clubland a couple of years ago. Yes, definitely. And if we're going with this secondary bolters category, then Taylor Ray has to be part of that conversation as well. She's going to, she's 100%, like aside from Claire Wheeler, she's going to be the Matildas next, just natural number six. She's so, she's such an exquisite player at that level. Um, it's just that she, just her knees just don't want good things for her, I suppose. So I would put her in that category as well. Agreed. For me, midfield represents the most interesting section of 
maybe not this big board, but future big boards, because if everyone comes back fit, so to make a yollop, if Elise Keller Knight gets to even like half of the player she was, and I'd like to think she will, it's just taking a bit of time, as you guys said, someone, someone important is going to miss out. Someone who maybe nine times out of 10 makes a World Cup squad is going to miss out. And I think that's going to be the really fun, interesting conversation because, um, and we've spoken about it with a lot of the other sections, if you want players who offer a multitude of weapons or something different from other people, but at a higher level, there's a lot of players in the midfield section who I would argue, um, so maybe I like Chloe and Tamika in my mind are kind of similar as hard runners have the attacking flair, can score goals, can do creative things, but you know that they will also run back, clean up messes. At the moment, Chloe's only picked because Tamika's injured. You know what I mean? So once they're both fully fit, that's an interesting conversation that I'm glad Tony Gustafson has to have and we can only like hypothesize and sort of speculate that we don't we don't actually have to make these decisions. So yeah, midfield for me is the one that's going to be very interesting as we continue on this endeavour over the next seven months. I still reckon when, when push comes to shove, they'll pick a squad. Um, even though the the criminals won't let us have 26, the criminals being um, won't let us have 26 in a uh, in the squad, apparently. That's been the reports. I could easily see them taking both Yellow and Legazzo. Um, don't know whether that will be right or wrong. I just won't be surprised at all to see both of them in that squad. But then who My do you leave out? Some, someone's missing out. That's who, who do you leave out? Someone like... always misses out. Someone always misses out. But just I just won't be surprised if both those players are in it. I'm not saying that's the right decision or the wrong decision. I just, yeah, when push comes to shove in World Cup squads, I could easily see both those players in. That is all dependent, of course, on... Tamika making a successful return from injury and finding form again. But if she's playing well, I think she'll be in the mix, as will Chloe Legazzo. And there'll be some tough decisions to make. Doesn't mean either of them will be starters. But if they're looking at players, I always think, and this is something we probably need to take into account with our, with our big board. When you're looking at a 23, I always think this is relevant in any sport. You don't just win. You don't win World Cups just with your starting 11. Or if you're England, you win Euros with just your starting 11, apparently. Um, they had great super subs but you win tournaments based on the strength of your entire squad you've got to have depth on the bench you've got to have talent on the bench you've got to have players that can be backed that you've got to have you know some players that provide a bit of x factor and something special but you've also got to have players that you can call upon if there's injuries or whatever i just wouldn't be surprised if both of them end up in that squad long way off i know it's not that long but in terms of yellow coming back it is but i just won't be surprised if come later on they're both in that team well, we're going to have to say goodbye to probably Alex Chidiak and Claire Wheeler then, because I can't, like, in terms of the pecking order of those players, like, those are the ones who you would think are more disposable, I guess, which is not really the word that I, I want to use, but, you know. Well, I feel like maybe it's a, it's a, it's a Kellen Knight you don't see if one of those. I think Chidiak is doing enough to be sort of the third or fourth in at the moment. If you've got Gori and Cooney Cross. Starting, Chidiak seems to be the first point of call in terms of substitutes. Wheeler is really going to have to play well at Everton, I think. And I like Claire, Claire Wheeler, mm. and I think she should be in squads. It'll be interesting. At the end of the day, it will be a good situation if all these players are pushing each other enough that there is a really tough selection call. Yeah. Because the last thing you want is to have players going to a World Cup where you think this player, like 2019, we had Simon and Tegan Allen, Gemma Simon and Tegan Allen, who just didn't play despite the lack of a left back with Steph Catley having to play centrally, you want to have players that can all step in and do something. Um, And if we're in a position where good players are missing out because they've been overtaken or a Yolop or Legazzo is missing out because a Wheeler, Chidiak, whoever, Keller Knight, don't care who it is, Danny Gallich has, you know, blown people's minds, great position to be in, so... Yes, it's much better than the alternative, which is, oh, my God, we need to have about five midfielders and we've got two. I told you, it's going to be fun. But let's move along to the last section, the the bane of everyone's existence, the cause of everyone's anxiety, the defenders. Um, At this stage, 
the locks really are, I, I think, really self-explanatory, to be honest. It would be Charlie Grant at right back because Ellie's injured, as we've mentioned a few times now. Uh, centre-back pairing of Alana Kennedy and Claire Foggingham and Steph Catley on the left. The only kind of like movement in that lock situation is actually where you play Steph Catley simply because we know she, we begrudgingly acknowledge that she did really well at centre-back, which we always knew she would do well at centre-back. We just don't want her to play there. And she's been playing there for Arsenal as well. She's been playing there for Arsenal, yeah. Also, Alana Kennedy's been injured lately. Yes, um, she is. So she's back, probably a lock though. in the squad, but she's probably not a lock in the starting mm. eleven right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, but if we're looking at the squad as a whole, she is a lock. She will be there. Can um, I? Can I throw a oh, spanner? Gonna... You can always throw a spanner in the works into the locks. I think Courtney Nevin has done enough to be a lock. To be a lock. I think. I she think has... that's fair. Because she can, she is, she is Steph Catley light. She can play as left back or as the left sided centre back. She's left footed. She's physical. She's fast. She, she's got all the qualities that you would want as the next replacement for a Steph Catley. If you're wanting to maintain the system and the style that Gustafson wants to play, Nevin is the next cab off the rank for me. And I, I've not hidden the fact that I'm not the biggest fan of Alana Kennedy. I think she is prone to too many clangers in too many high pressure moments. And I, if I, if we had to absolutely, and because she has been injured as well, she hasn't quite been getting as many minutes. She's not up to form. If we had to pick a, if we had to pick the back four who were going to step out onto a field and play a world cup game in a week, I would have Claire Polkinghorne and Steph Catley at center back and then I would have Nevin on the left and Charlie Grant on the right. Because last time we saw that combination of players, it was really good. It was against Sweden. It worked. It worked. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there, Sam. I think Kennedy would be going in the squad, but I think that that back four would probably be starting. And then if you're playing a slower team, they may well be the you know the option of playing Ivy Lewick at centre-back and Steph Catley on the left is the the backup option. Yeah, I think at the moment, if if... Tony was picking a squad next week. Ivy Lewick would be a lock to be in the squad, not in the um, 11 per yep. se, but I think she would be in the squad. Um, I'm not saying that's going to be the case in six months' time. I think there's a good chance she will be in that squad. But um, I think if you were doing it next week, Lewick would be there. Uh, but, yeah, I think, yeah, Nevin would be a lock to be in the squad going by our criteria, and I think she would deserve it too. I disagree with the assessment that she's Steph Catley light. I would say that she's more Steph Catley crunch. Uh, just <laughs> Steph Catley hard. More she's... angry, more angry, less class. Like she's definitely done enough. Mm-hmm. She's done plenty. <laughs> I love her for it. I love her energy, but oh, she's... more chaotic than Steph Catley. Yeah. She is more chaotic. Yeah, she is rougher than Steph Catley, and that is something that but she needs I to address. I agree in terms of. She can put in a really killer ball. When I say classy, I mean just the way that Catley is such a smooth mover. Yes. I think Nevin's a bit more like, you know, like army figure, like, like just go, 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 go. Whereas like the thing Catley with, the thing with Catley. so smooth. Yeah, exactly. Catley's so smooth. She's a smooth mover. When she has the ball, you're calm. You're not calm with Nevin yet. No, um, that's And she's true. young. Yeah. She's young, of course. Exactly. Um, and and the, she the looks better Catley when she's played is, further up. Yeah, she does. The thing with Catley is that like she doesn't she's she's so clever that she doesn't have to fly into tackles. She doesn't have to do what Courtney Nevin has to do sometimes because she reads the play so much faster than the people around her. And she's spoken about that in the past as well, particularly about her move to centre back and what like the extra sort of mental um, gymnastics that that requires her to do and how much like her footballing IQ has improved as a result of having to make that switch. So, yeah, so I think because of that, Catley, like she seems like such a calmer kind of player because you don't see her flying in to tackles. You don't see her having to do all the physical, scrappy, shitty little things that Courtney Devon sometimes does because she's she's smart enough to be able to foresee those potential um, of like moments and avoid them and do something else. Um, but that's fine. She also had to learn to do that. And that's where I think Courtney Nevin is going. Courtney Nevin is also very smart. She's a very, she's really switched on as a person. Um, she's playing in a good league as well. She's going to, you know, I, yeah. I, so I'm, I'm that my eggs are in the Courtney Nevin basket going forward. She can put in a great ball as well. Yeah. 
I really like that. Also, I like teams having a bit of aggro. It's something that yeah. I think um, Victory, especially in the start to this season, missed a bit of, especially with Polly Doran, who has to be in our bolter section for right yes, back. Yeah. Um, because Ellie Carpenter is not fit. So if we're picking the squad next week, would I be looking at a Polly Doran to call in? Um, I love players that have a bit of angry about them. I think they're fun um, and they can dance on the line a little bit. You don't want to cross the line, but yeah, they just can give you a bit of edge, a bit of nastiness. Winners have a bit of nastiness. Look at Argentina. World Cup, there's plenty of nasty in that team. Mm. Look at the US women's national team. No shortage of nastiness there. You don't need everyone to be a prick, but you need a little bit <laughs> of that aggro in your team. Can't all be nice. Oh, who's the prick on your outdoor team, Harrow? No, we're not going to go there. <laughs> if I speak, I'll be in I played the fifth. <laughs> no, oh, I'm just like, you need me. the prick. <laughs> Pod title. Um, what was I going to say? Something about bolters. I would put Emma Checker in bolters. She's injured, no? And Ah, uh, she's back. Oh, she's back. I feel like it's still a bit of a bolt for her to get into a squad tomorrow for where I yeah. am standing. And same, like, Carly Rossback and, like. <laughs> if Carly Rossback and gets fit in a couple of weeks, she's there, but she's not playing yet, so she cannot go into the bolt category just yet. I think City are really excited, though, by what they're seeing from her, and I think she'll throw herself back into contention once she's playing. Not one for now. In a couple of years, it'll be interesting to see if, Shinema can throw herself into contention. She's been very good in City's start to the season, but I don't think she's ready for the next step yet. So please, no one write this off as saying I'm calling her a bolter for this. Uh, City, there's a lot of excitement around these young players that Melbourne City have. And Kayla Morrison, I assume that's more an administrative issue rather than a skills or talent. <laughs> I, no, okay, the so like genuinely. Of visas. My genuine question, as with every kind of thing that has ever happened in Australian soccer ever, there is a meme element to Morrison for Matildas. But on a genuine level, if she got the citizenship and she was eligible to be selected for the Matildas, where does she fit into the conversation? She's the next Claire Parkinghorn for me. She she's the natural replacement for Polk. She's a uh, right. So I mean, I know she plays on the left um, with Claudie Bunge at Victory, but she she just has that sort of like that real maturity about the way she plays. She's she's the leader. She's the organizer at that level. Um, she's as we saw on the weekend, capable of scoring off set pieces and corners. She's got a she's tall. She's good in the air. You know, she's got she's got all the stuff that you want, all the foundation stuff that you want from a, a good centre back. So. Yeah, it's just about speed, I reckon. It's about speed, not just in terms of um, like physical speed, but speed of decision-making, speed of being able to react to certain situations um, and being able to um, catch up with the the speed of international football because I don't think she's played it even potentially at youth level. So that's going to be – that'll be the next really big jump for her if she's actually going to be part of the conversation. Yeah, I agree with Sam. Like, it's the administrative thing first and foremost. Um, she feels like she's getting her form back early days. She's a little bit shaky in possession. Um, and maybe just trying to do a little bit too much, which I think is very natural when you're coming back from something like a long-term injury. You're trying to prove that you belong again. And, you know, she's a captain of victory, so wants to do everything right. But she's managed to sort of calm it down a bit. She's a threat at set pieces. She's a good age in that bracket where the Matildas really need players. So if you just speed it along, I'd love to see her called into a squad. And we kind of spoke about it a little bit earlier, but just yes or no, are we giving up on Angie Bibb Matilda? Yep. Soz, but, you know, that's what happens sometimes. I feel like... You know, the... We've seen it happen with Ali Green. We've seen it happen with a couple of players who are part of, you know, Australian conversations. But, you know, they've, they've had opportunities. They've been called into camps in the past. And whether it's that you know, Gustafsson or the coaching staff didn't quite see what they wanted to see, whether it was they were playing in a position where they already had depth, you know, there are lots of different 
factors that come into decisions like this. And also it might just be a decision of Angie's. You know, this is, she wants to represent potentially the Philippines kind of nation that she's, you know, family comes from and like good honor. If she has that opportunity, go for it. Same as Ali Green. I was like, best wishes, you know, if this is what you want, if this is what you want your national team career to be, great. You know, you should have that, you should have that, the freedom to make that choice. You shouldn't be pressured to pick the Matildas for whatever reason, just because four, you know, people on the podcast tell you that you should, you know, like, you know, do what you want. It's all good. Yeah, I agree. It's a deeply personal decision. We talked about this with Mary Fowler a couple years back. Like players have every right to choose who they want to represent at, at national level. And we've seen it all play out with the soccerers of people talking about Christian Volpato, which I really didn't like the whole discourse that a lot of people had in terms of being like, why wouldn't you go to a World Cup if you had the choice? I'm not going to make kid's decision for him if he wants to play for Italy you know go ahead like you you follow whichever dream it's your pathway it's your career it's your decision yeah um and with these women's players obviously there is the the women's world cup like it's for some of these players it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and I don't think any of us as you say Sam are in a position to to judge what's right or wrong for any individual player if Angie Beard for example who we all rate very highly here um, who, who has been called up for Matildas in the past, obviously, um, decides that the Philippines is who she wants to play for, as is the talk, then good luck to her. Um, I'm sure she'll do brilliantly for them and I'm sure she'll be starting games and she'll really impress and she'll be starting a lot of games at a World Cup. Um, or be in New Zealand, which would be unfortunate for an Australian, but she, you know, if they get out of the group stage, who knows what happens. But, yeah, you, you can't yeah, begrudge any player for making these sorts of decisions. And I think Ali Green made the right call. Um, I know she's not really even been starting for New Zealand and she certainly would have been starting for the Matildas. India Page Riley is starting for New Zealand and I think she actually deserved more of a look in for Australia than she maybe got. But these players have all made the decisions that work for them and I don't think you can begrudge any of them. So, yeah, it'll be a shame if we don't see Angie Beard eligible for the Matildas anymore. But as we talked about, there's other players that will be keen to put their hand up. It's it's a, maybe a win-win for two different players in that sense. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when that decision officially comes out, though. Maybe there's a bit of paperwork to get through. I hope my question didn't seem like I am knocking Angie because I agree with you guys wholeheartedly that she has to make the choice that is correct for her. Um, it, it just it appears that she's not getting a look in at the Matildas level. So that was kind of the basis of my question. So we've done some math. We have 21 players selected. So we have two final spots. Um, So we've selected Micah Williams-Arnold, Polkinghorne Catley, Grant Kennedy, Nevin, Gorry, Cooney Cross, Legazzo, Chidiak, Van Egmond, Wheeler, Kerr, Ford, Razo, Fowler, Vine, Gilnick. I've added Ivy Lewick in there as well. Where where would those last two spots go? Is this where we bring in a bolter? Yeah. Please bring in another defender. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I yeah, I that gives me anxiety looking at that. Oh, it's it's gotta be a Matilda McNamara or someone, right? Who was in the last squad. Or someone that's fit. Yeah, I don't know. I hate this. Bring right, it, if, I, I bring okay. Bring in a beady goad. Six. It's six. Bring in a beady goad, versatility. Yep. I love that, Sam. She can play at left back, she can play at left wing, she can play um in different styles, she can play in different systems, and she is in form and she's playing. And she's, you know, and that's what that's the, I have to stick by the rules of this game, Marissa. <laughs> she we have to make sure that they're not injured. Um, yeah, so I, I'd put Betty Go there and I, I would probably uh, want to bring in uh, another midfielder, maybe. I would I would bring in – who would I bring in? I would bring in a Chloe Legazzo into that. Already in there, Sam. Is she? Okay, in I that missed list. that. She's at number 12. Uh, no, that's it. No, that's, I've reached the end of my mental capacities. Thank you. Someone else can pop up <laughs> with a take if they would like. Oh, I'm throwing Daniela Galich in there. Yeah, like, go on. If 
If we're, we're not thrown like, a defender? No. Or is, we we're can't beat each other. We realise there's six of them. We chucked in beady goat as a half half. Okay. Half forward, half defender. But, and I realised Ivy Luke was there. Ultimate utility. Also, Melina Reds is just missing out. Yeah. Yeah, she'd be 24. Yep. Galich is, yep, I agree. Galich, bring her in. All right. I think of the the dub midfielders that have impressed, I'm throwing Galich in there. A little bit of attacking that way, a bit of fun. Not that. Well, oh, that, that's so there's a the lot of midfielders in there at the moment that can kick people. <laughs> Sorry, the most what? important criteria <laughs> of all. <laughs> well, we don't need to add another one that's going to kick people. Sorry, Leah Davidson, as a defensive midfielder. There's enough in there. I don't think KK's in there just yet. So I yeah. think if we're picking a bolter for next week, Daniela Galich has been in super form. Yeah, it's nice. one. Daniela Galich will be the Garen Quall of the Matildas. Chuck her on in the last 10 minutes. Just get her to run around, do some special shit. It'll be great. She'll be the fowler. Can you imagine you just have her and Van Egmond as two, two tall, lopey <laughs> midfielders, and then every time there's a high ball, they wait for it to drop to their feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then they do something cool. That's 23. We will work up some sort of graphic so you guys can see exactly what we've done. You've heard all of the reasoning, but obviously we want to hear what you guys think because you could very well disagree with literally all of our decisions, but that's what we want to hear. So let us know who you would pick right now if this hypothetical World Cup was happening hypothetically next week. Um let us know at the Far Post Pod on all social media. And I reckon that was good fun. And I'm very much looking forward to the next one. Um, we'll figure out the best kind of time to do that. I think International Windows is probably the best uh, time. So February is the next scheduled International Window. So um, I reckon lots of, lots of fun ahead, friends. It's going to be a good one. Um, but, yeah, we can't wait to do it all again soon obviously we will still be posting and potting throughout the a-league women's season season <laughs> throughout the a-league women's season so make sure you tune into the episode <laughs> we've lost it fam we're, I'm, this is I'm, the end of the I'm year gone. we've just we're just I'm we're jingling gone. our way to the end <laughs> we're jingling and we're jangling um <laughs> Obviously, we just recorded an episode about the last round of the A-League Women's. We'll be doing that throughout the rest of the season, so go tune into those. As always, we are on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review and subscribe. Like I said, we want to see your 23s abiding by the rules that people have had issues with and sometimes bent a little bit, but like try and do it by the rules it's actually a very fun exercise um but until next time see ya.